90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty good. Didn't snow this weekend, so it's pretty good. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so field camp is going well? Yeah, it's going real well. The weather's been amazing. I only have 12 students. We ran into another school out here that has 62. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that would be 62 people. It would be very hard to manage in the field safely. Uh, I can't even imagine. I mean, they have a whole passel full of TAs and teachers. But, um, yeah, this is break in the you know 45 plus student camps that I've had is really nice and I think everybody's learning a lot more they're all working hard so it's been a great first week that's awesome mm -hmm. how about you <laughs> uh you know I've been dodging tornadoes all week <laughs> oh my gosh the weather back home is crazy just crazy first we had these barges that ripped through a dam in oklahoma because of all the flooding and you guys have a ton of flooding too yeah tornadoes all night long which is weird for us yeah we're we're recording this a little bit early because i'm actually about to get on a plane and uh, go do some estimates but just the last i think the last three nights every night between midnight and 3 a.m i've been woken up to various forms of severe thunderstorm and or tornado warnings. Yeah, I feel like historically that's very odd. I feel like our our stuff usually dies down by like 9 or 10 at night and it goes away, but these are spinning up well after that. So the atmospheric setup is not wonderful back home. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, every night the dry line backs up, yep. <laughs> more moisture comes in, we get lots <laughs> of moisture. The next day it heats up and plows forward and it's just repeating over yeah. and over the air is so juicy mm -hmm. just lock and load man everybody's yeah. praying for that heat ridge now <laughs> yes yes the ridge, ridge of death would be welcome yes exactly <laughs> but not here though it's uh wonderfully chilly and um i'm sure i'm sure you're not that far away from it to remember how lovely the mornings are <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in our next summer short-ish that we're going to do, <laughs> uh, so last week we talked about the Dakota group, and this week we're going to talk about something else that y'all are going to encounter at field camp, which is concretions. Right. Um, we did encounter these, and you encountered them in the Dakota group, too, which got me thinking about them. Actually, it was when I was cleaning up a whole bunch of rocks off the front porch. I found several little awesome concretions and thought we should talk about these because they're one of those things that are of interest to everybody because they're these perfect little round balls or they're kind of disc flat flying saucer shaped things that don't weather very easily. So people find them all over the place and they are very commonly misidentified as fossils. So I thought we would um, break up some of that mythology around them. Yeah, and you know, these are commonly, well, they're confused with a lot of things. Uh, if I were just to pick one up, I would probably call it a nodule, which is geologically incorrect. Right. Um, so concretions are, there's not a super sharp definition between nodules and concretions because, you know, it's not an exact science. Um, <laughs> but right. nod nodules are more knobby and concretions are more concentric. That's the sort of baseline of how they're different. 
Right, and I don't know if this is strictly geologically true, but I tend to think of nodules more as, like, this is a solid chert nodule, not a lot of other sedimentary stuff bound together. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I feel like the the nucleation in a concretion is what makes it different, too, because a nodule is just like a blob of stuff. It doesn't, right. like, it doesn't sit there and grow in a manner that's, you know, oh, I found this thing. I'm going to start growing now. It's just like, well, here's some stuff. <laughs> right. But you're, you're right. Like if you cut open a nodule, it looks very similar all throughout. And if you cut up a concretion, sometimes you can find some cool stuff. <laughs> right. So uh, you, you have in the notes here that there is a colloquial name for concretions that I have never heard before <gasps> in my life. Are you kidding? You've never heard of thunder eggs? No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. John Lehman. <laughs> yeah, thunder eggs, man. It's probably the most popular concretions. You can buy these things everywhere. And they get real big, and people love them. Huh? Did you yeah, look I, them up? Do you know what they look like? And I, I am doing so right now. Okay. All right. I just I'm surprised you hadn't heard of those before. Plus, they bring together our two loves, right? Thunder and eggs. <laughs> okay. Now, now that I see them, sure, I've seen them before. Right there, you go. Uh, yeah. But I so. definitely have never heard them called thunder. <laughs> <laughs> so those are septarian nodules, which we'll get to later. Um, that's what a thunder and, egg is called. And to show you that, as Shannon said, it's not an exact science, the first definition I find for thunder eggs is a <laughs> nodule-like rock. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so concretions. So these are fundamentally sedimentary features, but they form in situ. Right. And it's hard to get your mind around how they form. <laughs> it's hard for me to get my mind around how they form. Maybe other people, this is easier. Um, because you've got these sedimentary rocks, and stuff happens to them after they turn into rocks, right? And that's a lot of what you see. So if you see, like, a weird discoloration or something like that, usually that's fluid that's flowed through or a mineral that's precipitated long after lithification or long after the thing actually became a rock. But concretions, I mean, and nodules too, form sort of shortly after deposition and before lithification. So this is when it's sort of a loose, sandy, if you will, pack. It's, yeah, plasma. It's somewhere between beach sand and rock. Yeah, yeah. So it's got to be in that in-between state or else the concretion would just fall apart. It would never make itself you know, into this separate entity. So, yeah, it's it's in the rocks plasma-y state. Plastic-y state, maybe? Something like that. Um, oh, plastic means something totally different to I me. knew, I know. That's why I threw it out there. I was like, I'll see if John's okay with plasma. Okay, no, no, he's not okay with plastic. <laughs> it, it, it is a rock colloid. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, in between lithification and deposition. We'll just leave it there. All right. <laughs> um, and you also get concretions in some soils uh, very frequently, um, especially soils that are, you get them in arid soils and stuff that has a lot of caliche or a lot of calcite in the system because they're often made of calcite. Right. Uh, and one of the cool things about concretions is you already mentioned it. They have to nucleate on something. So something has to spur their growth. Mm-hmm. 
which is, you know, just like a cloud. Yes, it is. <laughs> I really wanted the literature to say something about like concretion condensation nuclei, but it'd be the same as cloud condensation, CCNs. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same physics, everybody, just different timescales. Um, so what do they nucleate on? What are you going to find in a sedimentary rock? Well, you can find pieces of sediment, uh, pieces of shells, pieces of animals. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> People love to knock these open to see what comes out because sometimes it's just a weird, sh weirdly shaped grain of sand or another you know, grain of class to something that's in there and that's really disappointing but sometimes you can get little bones or little plant fossils um in the middle of the concretions it's pretty cool yes this is where you get like a you know big chain wrench or something and bust these things open for mm -hmm. a few bucks at uh, various roadside rock stores <laughs> exactly right <laughs> that is so true um sometimes and this is super seldom but i have had seen these before is you'll have a concretion and you can shake it and you can hear that there's something in the middle of it oh that's pretty cool yeah it is pretty neat and also again i'm very disappointed because that was like one time and i found thousands of concretions but right <laughs> but still so concretions need these little nucleus to start depositing cement on because that's all it is. so it's this little nuclei and then it is a bunch of cement that starts to grow around it because you know sedimentary rocks you need grains and cement so you have all your clasts and then water starts to come in and it starts to cement them together usually the cement fills in those little spaces or the pores in between the clasts and it just glues the rock together and you go on but in the case of a concretion it finds this little nuclei and it starts to grow cement exclusively around this little nuclei and that just gets bigger and bigger and kind of pushes the rest of the rock out of the way right so you could sort of think this as, of this as the uh in, to me anyway the candied apple where you you've got some caramel you get some cement deposited on your nuclei and then things are sticking to it and it's growing mm -hmm. yeah so it's cool these things are usually you know, not mono mineralic, but really they are. It's just the cement and whatever's in it. Um, and there's all kinds of stuff it can be. I already mentioned it's commonly calcite, but another one that people see a lot and don't know what it is are these hematite concretions. Right. Uh, so I don't know that I've encountered a hematite concretion <gasps> in the field. Oh, I bet you have. <laughs> You just haven't paid attention because you didn't care about it because it's <laughs> below the resolution of your velocity models. Um, <laughs> so in sandstones, and you get this in the Garber sandstone and a lot of sandstones in your neck of the woods too, not just out here. Um, there are those little balls. You've got this commonly tan or whitish sandstone and there's little red nodules that are not nodules <laughs> little red concretions that are in them frequently the the actual ball part of the concretion is already gone and you just see kind of a red rimmed circle that's left behind in the sandstone and it might have like an indentation or something and that's where one of those was right so it would really depend on what that cement is and what the concretion is made out of whether it's still going to be there or not <laughs> yeah abso absolutely and you mentioned chert nodules earlier because that's something that we frequently see but chert can make concretions too 
um, siderite, pyrite, which is really cool. I've never seen a just like a solely pyrite concretion or a gertite, which is another iron oxide. Um, those are fairly, fairly common uh, concretions as well. I mean, and these things can get really big. We had somebody on a field trip try to argue that one was a fossilized turtle shell, which people see a lot because as they get really big, I mean, they still have sediment on top of them. So it's hard for them to sort of stay ground and they get squished out like little flying saucers and Lots of people have thought they were flying saucers. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's a little alien that they nucleated on in the inside. You know, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th- they at least initially grow concentrically, uh, mm-hmm. pushing those grains out of the way, like you said. And I, I mean, there is some grain incorporation too, but. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But then, yeah, when, once they get larger, uh, you can tell something about what the principal stress direction was. Yes. <laughs> what direction yeah, you they flatten in. Sh- you sure can. Unless they're flying saucers, in which case, yeah. Right. <laughs> but I think that, so uh, it's really gross. They're basically like a weird little cyst in the rock is what you can call them, which is, you know, ew. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know that I've seen a, since I haven't seen many large ones in the field, I would assume that they create some pretty interesting uh, soft sediment deformation features around them too. You know, you would think, but it doesn't seem that way. This is where maybe I'm sort of confused about the mechanics of them. I don't know if we really know a lot about the mechanics of how they grow because it doesn't seem like there's a lot of deformation around them. And I don't know if that just is a, I mean, there's some, obviously there has to be, um, I don't know if that's just a product of the fact that the rock is so unconsolidated when it starts to grow, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. So you would you would think there would be more. Because, I mean, some of these, like I said, some people think that they're like, you know, Galapagos turtle-sized fossils because they're real big. But, yeah, huh. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how long it takes to make one, which I also find very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, this sounds like a problem for a geochemist. Sure does. Glad I'm not one. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody. I hope there is somebody that's like a super, um, you know, concretion expert who will write to us. That would be great because they really are like what's neat about them. Besides the fact they made all these cool, you know, they make all these cool shapes and people find these and they're very, you know, ge- their geological curiosity was something that I read. Um because they are. They're just these perfectly round things. Um, I did, I know lots of people know this, we talk about it a lot, but I did my master's thesis on uh, impact craters in southwestern uh, Missouri. And there is a whole bed of these weird things, and it's outside the town of Wobbolo, and they call them Wobbolo balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're these round concretions, and like people take them and make, you know, fences with them and all kinds of stuff. And so they're a weird, weird thing. And they definitely use that as like, come here to Springfield and see these wobble balls. <laughs> and they're <laughs> real weird. <laughs> well, that's not too far from me. I may have to make a trip up there. Oh, yeah, you totally should. Because there are. There's some really cool like fences and stuff made out of these big concretions. And I say big. They're definitely like croquet ball size. That's a ball. Everyone knows what size it is, right? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you could have picked a more obscure sport for our <laughs> North American listeners. I'm trying to reach out. 
John. <laughs> um, like softball size. So they there can, you go. That, they can, that, that's a good hailstone size that everybody knows. <laughs> um, as an aside, my friend and I have decided that we've changed the hail chart to all egg sizes because somebody kept saying hen egg on TV and I thought it was funny. And so we made a hummingbird to cassowary <laughs> egg size chart for hail. <laughs> well, you know, hen egg is the official weather service designation for hail size. I know, but why wouldn't you just say egg? It was just very, very specific in the heat of all these tornadoes. And I just found it to be, it was very poignant. So I think instead of pea size <laughs> hail, it should be hummingbird egg size hail. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I digress. <laughs> but they all are round things that we're talking about. So Yes. And I mean, hail growth is very similar to concretion growth, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's a, there's a nucleation and then subsequent deposition around that mm -hmm. nucleus as it's growing. Yep, exactly. Except for the nucleus isn't usually a fossil. <laughs> yeah, it's generally pollen. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that could become a fossil. Right. <laughs> but as we said earlier, there's some really famous concretions that people may have heard of. Yeah. So these are your your thunder eggs. Yes. And you see why they're called thunder eggs, right? Yeah. It looks sort of like lightning hit a rock and change things. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you see these things, they're usually sliced in half and then polished. And what they are is it's kind of a ball of muddy shale and then there's this sort of radiation of calcite on the order of you know millimeters to some of them get pretty big close to centimeter size and it does it just looks like lightning hit it um these are called septarian nodules they might be more nodular i don't think we really quite know how they formed um because the septarian nodules have sort of the way the fracture patterns radiate out or the vein patterns radiate out gives us a clue. Um, they look like it might be some kind of ball that's set there in this mud stuff and maybe it's dried out and that's where it creates these cracks that then calcite can get into and then it gets wet again and that's how you make your little thunder egg. Yeah, so like dehydration, uh gases being produced from organics decaying, mm -hmm. fracturing it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's even been some speculation uh, in the last, well, since the 2000s, of earthquakes and compaction. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting um, about that. So, so they're really cool. So it's kind of a process and um, a really cool rock all in one. And sometimes you get different stuff in there. So it's not just this calcite vein. You'll have some pyrite and... Like I said, very commonly, you'll get iron in a lot of these concretions. So the thundery part will look um, very red versus the rest of the rocks, which are usually sunny gray or tan. Right. Mm -hmm. So those are really cool. Um, and those are really famous. You can crack those open. They look beautiful. And sometimes they can get huge. Like 10 feet. Yes. That's or crazy. Three meters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this right. Okay. <laughs> so I guess there's a famous beach in New, in New Zealand, not New England, um, that has these big boulders, and those are concretions there. And you can kind of see on the outside, it looks like a big 
round boulder with mud cracks all over it. And that's the part, if you busted it open, that would be the lightning of the thunder egg. Yes, and that would be quite the job to bust open or saw, but I bet it would be gorgeous. <laughs> ah, man, I bet it would. You just get one of those wire cutter saws and yeah, and just knock that thing open. Yeah, um, but these are everywhere. So I mentioned mine that are in Missouri, but there are a lot more um, examples of these concretions that range from you know tiny to three meters. Right, and you know some of these are named for the place, like cannonball concretions, which are found along the Cannonball River, mm-hmm. uh, North Dakota. They also get very large, and they're very round, uh, but they also have been generalized to be found everywhere. Yes. So <laughs> your, um, your septarian nodules would also be cannonball concretions. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, and it says in here, and I've never seen this, that some are as much as six meters in diameter. Yeah, that's crazy. What? <laughs> that's a huge cannonball or concretion. Right. <laughs> Both of those things. Um, and so those are those are really weird. Um, sometimes, like we said earlier, they're not round. They take on this sort of, you know, UFO shape and they squish out. And that is true of these little Moki marbles, which I thought was really neat. And also very pertinent. Yeah. So these look super cool and they're generally uh, like hematite or they're more exotic. Yes. Cements. <laughs> um, and they're commonly found in the Navajo, which is in Utah. Right. So this is close to our neighborhood right now. And these little Moki marbles um, are hematite or gertite cement. But what's cool about them is, and these are the things that you may have heard of as called blueberries. Yeah, again, another colloquial term that I haven't heard people call these that. But <gasps> What? John Lehman. Man, I'm glad I educated you on these concretions. <laughs> yeah, I am too. <laughs> okay, so they're called blueberries because, so if you're in the Navajo sandstone, which is in every national park in the West, basically, sometimes, so this is a big Aeolian sandstone. All right. So that means it's big wind driven dunes. You know, think of Tatooine. That's what the Navajo's environment of deposition was. Right. And so we, as the water table raises, we preserve these dune sands. That's what happens. And within there, you have groundwater, right? And the groundwater out there is very iron rich. And you start to make these little iron concretions. So hematite or gertite concretions. And then we've made this rock, right? We have uncovered it. It's up on the surface as a rock now. And you start to weather out these little concretions and they will roll down and collect together sort of in between the ancient dunes. So you'll be walking along and you'll see a low spot in the rock and you'll find this little collection and you call them blueberries because it's iron. They get that sort of dark bluish tint on it. Um, as they weather and they pick up a lot of um, desert varnish. And so they look blue. And you find them in little clumps, just like little blueberries. And what's so cool about them is this is what we found on Mars when we first landed the rovers that took all the great pictures, right? Um, Curiosity. And we found these blueberries. And we know that these have to form with water. We know concretions have to have water. And so that's why they were so exciting. 
So blueberries are the most famous of the concretions. Right. So this would be, I guess, somewhat similar to specular hematite, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Right. Yeah. So that's what they look like. And that's why they're, they're the blueberries. But that's also like why they're pretty famous. So I have a picture that I show in my intro geology. That's a picture of blueberries from the Navajo sandstone that I took. And then a picture of blueberries from Mars. And you cannot tell the difference between the environments, right? You know, the students are like, yeah, okay, two pictures of this thing. And I'm like, oh, this is on a different planet. <laughs> and and then the they old. all gasp and become geologists, right? That's right. Oh, maybe one of them, maybe in six years. <laughs> <laughs> so. so, and it says that these have been found up to like baseball size I've certainly not seen anything that large. <laughs> um, I have one that is definitely baseball size that somebody's brought me. I didn't find it. Um, it was a student sucking up, which was great because it's super cool. <laughs> right. So, yeah, they can they can get pretty huge. But I have tons and tons of the little tiny, you know, millimeter size guys. Um, you can find those all day out west in these sandstones. And so that's yes. what they are. Yeah, just little iron concretions. They're not... Pseudofossil, well, people call them pseudofossils. You know, it's not an egg from a ovaraptor or anything like that. Hmm. Yeah. So. Well, and then the the next one on our list is pretty fun. It's Kansas Pop Rocks. <laughs> I can't believe I've never seen these. <laughs> yeah, and so these are in the Smoky Hill Chalk, mm-hmm. and. They are some of those ones that you said, well, I've never seen a big chunk of pyrite. These are iron sulfides. So pyrites, marcasites, and even jerosite. Which is really weird because jerosite isn't very stable. Um, yeah, and we have the Smoky Hill out here, which I'm really excited about. And within the Smoky Hill, you get a lot of bentonites. And what a bentonite is, is it's basically volcanic ash that's already turned to clay. And so those occur within the chalk of the Smoky Hill chalk. And you get those things, and then you get these little concretions that are pretty small, you know? Well, yeah, they say 12 centimeters, but, oh, they can get up to three feet there. And this chalk is something that gets deposited in the ocean, and so a lot of the nuclei for these little things are um, little shells, little bivalves. Right. And you might say, well, why are they called pop rocks? And that's because there's a lot of moisture locked away in these iron sulfides. So if you throw these concretions in a fire, they explode. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to know who did that, right? <laughs> yeah. And if you, you hammer or cut these with a saw, uh, they will produce sparks because of all the, the iron in there. And you'll get a burning sulfur smell as sulfur is in all of these minerals. Mm-hmm. They're iron sulfides. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, pop rocks. I'm totally going to do this. I'm coming back through Kansas. And I'm going to collect this stuff. <laughs> so that um, that bentonite layer, acts. It, it helps to keep moisture in the rocks below. It's pretty impermeable and stuff. So that's um, that's a very diagnostic feature of that member as well as these pop rocks. <laughs> So. Yeah, and so I'm looking, uh, you know, Grove uh, County is only a few miles north of Topeka off I-70. Yes, yes. Okay, maybe I'm on my so way So it's back. right on your way home. <laughs> yep, I'm totally going to do that. Totally going to do that. Um, so the last little concretion in here, because we said they also form in soil, not just in 
old rocks um, are these little things called fairy stones. <laughs> yeah, and so these are calcium carbonate disks, and they're like coin-looking things. Yeah, so these form in the soil, not in ancient rocks. So these are, you know, fairly new. And it's the same thing. They find a fossil or pebble or a weird-shaped piece of rock that's in the soil. And, yeah, for some reason they form flat. Um, and these are found in Sweden, but those are really cool. I would also like one of those. Sweden is not on my way home, so it'll probably be a while before I get one. Right. <gasps> uh, though they have been found in Canada as well. Ooh, sweet. Okay. I can and they have these cool little concentric growth lines on the top as well. Yeah. Fairy stones adorable they they look sort of like arrest lines in a fracture pattern but oh yeah they do yeah hmm. yeah so we'll have to get some to put them under a microscope yes and actually <laughs> speaking of that i don't think we've talked about arrest lines before so we need to to do that at some point <laughs> that's not as exciting as you think it is <laughs> arrest lines uh, i mean it's i'm just saying there's not like it's not cops or anything like that no <laughs> but yes we absolutely do because the way fault fractures propagate is weird yes <laughs> well without uh any further ado i think it's time that we <laughs> cement our episode on concretions <sighs> and move along to everybody's favorite segment of the show fun paper friday yay See, we're going from something that is potentially extraterrestrial to something that is extraterrestrial. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I found this Gizmodo article about extraterrestrial organic matter that's been found in these volcanic rocks in South Africa. And it also is not, you know, it's not aliens really, but could be. <laughs> right. So this is a, uh, a joint French and Italian study. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the DOI that they have in this article does not seem to link to yeah. the correct paper. Yeah. So that's too bad. Uh, <laughs> but what we're really doing here, what they're really doing in this paper, is finding organic matter in three-plus billion-year-old volcanics that is demonstrably not from this world. I think this is so weird that you can find... You can figure out where organics are from, right? That was kind of the cool part of this paper, besides the fact that it's published in the journal Geochemica at Cosmochemica Acta, which is one of my favorite journal names. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like, how do you do this? How do you figure out stuff is, you know, we have organics here. What's the difference? Yeah, so they put these, uh, these rocks, they took these postage stamp size samples and slice them up, put them under all kinds of instruments. They used electron microscopes. Uh, they used a particle accelerator and did some proton work on them. Uh, the more interesting one, though, was this continuous wave electron paramagnetic resonance, or CWEPR. Yeah. I've, I haven't read anything that's used this before. No, it's pretty cool. Uh, so yep. you're, you're measuring how the electrons in a sample respond or resonate to changing magnetic field strengths and frequencies. That's awesome. And so by doing this, you can tell things about, say, the carbon structure that's there. And they found lots of samples that had carbon signals that matched 
what we have here on Earth, but they also found one that has carbon that more closely matches carbon-rich meteorite samples. Yeah, there you go. And so we're not talking about big dinosaur-killing meteorites, likely. We're talking about these micro-meteorites, which fall all the time. Yes, and you know, if you want to collect, it was a classic science fair experiment, right? You put a coffee filter over a jar and put it at like the bottom of a gutter and let it rain. And then you look at the coffee filter under a microscope. And once you pick out all the pieces of asphalt roof shingling, (laughs) you're left with some micrometeorites. There you go. And these things probably have something to do with uh, climate too, because these little guys are up in the atmosphere and we can talk about that later. I'm actually working on a, uh, working on a lecture about that right now. But yeah, Um, so these things are real common. So, okay, what's the big deal? Right. Well, it seems shocking (laughs) that you could have micrometeorites that preserve enough of this extraterrestrial carbon to be detectable by this method after three billion years. Yeah. That... Without a proposed hypothesis as to how this happened, that alone would make me say... Uh, one out of how many samples? No, this this was a fluke. Right. But the proposed hypothesis is even more exciting. Right. So <laughs> maybe there was a relatively large impact that lofted a bunch of dust into the atmosphere, and that comes back down. So we've lofted all this extraterrestrial carbon into the atmosphere, it comes down, it gets buried underneath this layer of ash and preserved. Exactly. So just like we talked about, that layer of ash becomes impermeable. And so you're not going to, I mean, microscopically permeable. But that's a good sort of blanket to put on top of it to keep it there. And also, it's real hard to find any impact craters that are older than that because we've recycled so much of our crust. And so the signature of it, which you should know from listening to our <laughs> How Do You Figure Out If You've Got an Impact shows you know that is that is something that can be used to say you know okay yeah we were still getting big impacts at this time which is not unusual because we're not long out of the early bombardment of the you know inner solar system right and so you might say okay well sure we've detected some carbon from an ancient meteorite other than the fact that it's really cool that we can do that so what yeah Uh well the, the so what here is So we found carbon that was not on our world, that came to our world, and it was very hard to distinguish from carbon that was here. We're trying to find carbon on other worlds (laughs) to determine if there was life there. And this is saying, oh, look, here's another place that carbon might come from that doesn't mean necessarily there was life here. Right. Yeah, exactly. But it's really cool. uses a cool technique, and um, it's always fun to learn about Precambrian rocks, in my opinion. Yes. So, yeah. So, if you have done your own micrometeorite CWEPR analysis and would like to share your results with us or recommend a paper for Fun Paper Friday, Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? Yeah, keep them coming, guys. Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Uh, we're in the Slack chat room. 
Although I'm guessing that we've both been pretty busy lately, so hopefully people are still talking over there. We're in the software underground on the Don't Panic channel. As always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us going. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you may do so. Patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.